Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you out, especially those of you that are guests with us tonight. We welcome you or welcome you back if you're new to MCC. Children fifth grade and under, if you want to make your way down to Clubhouse, I'd love for you to go down there and have a great time tonight. They've got a great lesson and there's some great adults down there with you. Carly, great job tonight leading us. Thank you very much for that. The rest of us need to grab a Bible, and I want you to do two things for me tonight. First, get your cell phone out and put it on silence. I'd really like to not have any uh, distractions tonight because if we do, I'm liable to say something uh, silly uh, on this subject, and my wife's going to come out of the loft upstairs and uh, knock me out of the pulpit. So, so no distractions tonight, girls. If you need somebody sit in between you over here to keep you good, I'll come sit next to you if I have to. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if you've been with us through this series, uh, Asking for a Friend, if you've been with us through this series, you know that we began in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 as the benchmark for the questions that come up in our life. We've acknowledged that once we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are times when our past behavior Uh, our behavior before we met Christ. There are times when our continued behavior, the things that we think about, the things that we do, prompts us to ask this question. And it always comes out, is it okay to? Uh, Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit inside of us prompting us to look to God's Word and make sure that we're aligning our life with Him. Now, so far we've answered questions that have been pretty simple. Is it okay to lie? Uh, Is it okay to get angry? Is it okay to continue living as I have? And those are pretty surface level subjects. Last week, is it okay to give up as we got just a little bit more challenging in our message? This week, this week is one that is very challenging. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, he says, Be imitators of God and live a life of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators. Don't be imposters. Don't be someone that you're not. But you align your thoughts, you align your behavior, you align your desires, you align all of this with God who loves you who gave his all for you, who knows what's best for you. And verse 2, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint. Or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And so we arrive at this weekend's question. Is it okay to have sex outside of the bonds of traditional, God-ordained, God-described marriage? Now, this weekend's question, is it okay to, it sounds like a very narrowly defined question, but here's the thing I want you to get as we go through this tonight, is that the answer to this question answers all the other questions. The questions about homosexual relationships, the the questions about moving in together before we're married, the questions about self-gratification, 
to questions about bestiality and, and other forms of, of sexual being. Now, before you start thinking about, okay, this, this is great. I've been waiting for this so that I can make notes and have an argument with my neighbor or someone on Facebook, because we know Facebook is the place to discuss spiritual things, right? <laughs> and to take a stand on an issue and, and to blast other people. That's the place to do it. So before you get out your social media, that's not what this sermon is for. This sermon is not to get you all riled up and to hear a bunch of amens when we come to certain subject matter. If you can't say amen to the things that you struggle with in your life, then don't say amen when you come to a topic that someone else is struggling with. It's not there for that. And it's not to convict you or indict you or shame you. And as I've been instructed by the staff and my wife, it's not a matter to make light of. Because friends, it is wrecking our culture and it is wrecking the church today. And so I want you to lean in for the next 25 minutes as we turn not to my opinion or yours, but we turn to the word of God tonight. And this sermon is filled with his word, as all of them are, but especially so tonight. And so I encourage you to make notes of those scriptures. And when we come to the end, if your question isn't answered, I want you to write it down. And I want you to go home and I want you to plow through all of these scriptures that I'm going to give you tonight. I, I want you to look at them. And then I want you to reach out to me. And we will sit down and we will find the answer to your question together. Because it matters. It matters. Genesis chapter 1. Flipping your Bibles all the way back to the beginning. I want you to, to underline this. I want you to highlight it. If you have to take that page out, not, not for the purpose of throwing it away, but if you have to take it out and pin it to your wall until you're certain of these truths, I want you to do it. We'll give you another Bible. Genesis chapter 1 Verse 1. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can almost say that without looking at it in the Bible. Because as Christians, that's the foundation of our faith. That God is the creator of all things. And so in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And verse 3, and God said, and God said, let there be light. Verse 5, God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. From the very beginning, God has defined himself. He has defined himself as the creator of all things. The heavens, the earth, the waters, the seas, the sun and the moon and the stars, the galaxies and life itself. Verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Verse 22, God blessed them and said, and I want you to underline this, be fruitful 
and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. Now, my wife hates birds, but anyway, the Lord said, let them increase. In verse 24, God creates wild animals. He creates creatures that move along the ground. He creates livestock. Thank goodness for Angus beef. And he created each one of these things. Listen, he created each one of these beings with the ability to produce fruit, to go and to multiply, to procreate, to increase in number. Now, this is critical to understand that from the very beginning, even with these living creatures, not humans, we're not there yet. He created he defined how those things would come together and how they themselves would bring forth another of their kind, another of their species. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so God created man in his own image, verse 27 says. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, listen, he's defining our sexuality right here, right? He created us male and female. And then he says to them, the same thing that he said to the other living creatures, be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. We're all together so far, right? Great. Chapter two, verse 18. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's usually where we get an amen. It's okay, amen, we can all agree on that. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. Verse 21 tells us that God caused the man right to go into a deep sleep. He took a part of the man. <clears throat> In this case, it happened to be a rib. He took a rib from a man and he created from that rib a woman. A woman, again, made in the image of God, and he closed the man back up, it says. He made a woman, and what I want you to get is that in the middle of this creative process, God did something. Well, why did he take a rib? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. There's a lot of jokes about that, which I'm not allowed to tell you tonight. But why take a rib? Do you ever wonder why... Guys, when a beautiful woman walks into a room, or girls, when, when Matt Barton comes up to the communion table, right, and he's just busting out there, you know, kind of like I used to be. Do you ever wonder why your heart starts beating? God placed with inside of us as male and female a desire to be one again, right? To be one person. A desire that is emotional, a desire that is spiritual, a desire that is physical, a desire that is sexual. 
It's not good for man to be alone. And in the middle of this process, God placed within man and within woman the desire for one another and the plan for this to be fulfilled within the confines of a monogamous marriage. One man, one woman. And let me pause and be very clear right here. I don't think I need to, uh, need to explain this any further, but it is a desire, guys and girls, Men and women, it is a desire that once you start down the path of trying to fulfill that desire, it's hard to stop. It's hard to pull back. In fact, it's one of those things that seems impossible. Once you've gone there, you go there over and over again. It's strong. Verse 24. For this reason, for what reason? For the reason of this desire, for the reason that God created us, male and female, for the reason that our bodies are designed to fit together only in one way, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become what? One flesh, one being. Heart, mind, soul, and body. No barriers. Fully known emotionally. Fully known spiritually. Fully known physically. One flesh. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Can you imagine being fully known? And having no, no shame. Now here's a great place to make some notes if you haven't already filled up your notepad. Our sexuality, our sexuality was created and defined by God at the beginning of time. That's what we've just read. It was defined and created at the beginning of time, and friends, it remains unchanged. How do we know it remains unchanged? Because God is the unchanging God. God is the same yesterday, today, and he's the same tomorrow. His word, the word of God, is complete. It's without error. It's alive and active. That means that you can open up 200 years ago and read the words and it speaks to your heart in a contemporary way and you can open it up today in the middle of 2021 and it speaks the same way. You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to change it or add to it or take away from it. God and his word are unchanging. And that means that God's plan and God's definition of to be male and female has always been and always will be. Man and woman, created with the same dignity, created equally, created in the image of God as males and females, we have distinct and different capacity for reproduction. I want you to listen to me on this. We were created in such a ways that our bodies fit together. And while our appearance can be altered, this reproductive capacity cannot be changed. Science has confirmed that the 23rd pair of chromosomes are what? 
the gender chromosomes. Each one of us are born with 23 chromosome pairs. Now, do abnormalities exist since sin came? Yes. Yes, there are people born with variations. But here's what doesn't change. And that is that a female in the 23rd column has two X chromosomes. And the male has an X and a Y. All males are XY. All females are XX. You can check it out. Fact by science. The woman is created to generate a child in her body. Now, we've seen all sorts of silly things on the news on television shows, on the magazines that are right there at the grocery store checkout, all right, about men carrying babies. That has been, their bodies have been altered. Not God designed that way, they have been altered, and that baby was not conceived or formed in the way that God planned and defined and intended. A woman's body was created only as the one to carry a child should God allow it in a married relationship. A male, his offspring must be carried by a female. If they conceive a girl, listen to this, as she develops in her mother's womb, you know what else is developing in that girl, that fetus, that embryo? From the moment that the sperm and the egg get together and the cells begin dividing, she, as a female child, is developing her own eggs that distinguish her as a woman. And the boy, the XY, he is forming reproductive cells that will continue to mature until they reach their fullness. In this, there are two genders, male and female, known as early as 19 to 20 weeks gestation. Our gender, biological, is defined when the woman's egg is fertilized and the gene structure is placed. Period. Our sexuality as male and female is not only scientific and XX and XY, but it is to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. How do we know that? A man will be united with his wife, male and female, consummated by intercourse for the purpose of reproduction, but also for pleasure and relational intimacy. Proverbs 5.18 May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Solomon is saying that sex is as much an emotional and spiritual act as it is a physical one. God's creation and design plan isn't just Old Testament stuff. 
Jesus affirmed it all while he was here on the planet. He said in Matthew 19, 4, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two. I want you to underline that. They are no longer two, but they are one. That's spiritual, emotional, and physical union. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And that has been the story ever since the Garden of Eden. Man has tried to distort and to separate. But our sexuality was created and defined by God at the beginning, and it remains unchanged. Here's the second point. And that is anything that deviates from God's design, plan, and definition, anything that deviates from God's plan, design, and definition for our life is sinful. It's sinful. In Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve with the adversary, Satan, right there twisting the words of God. You've heard Brandon speak. You've heard David speak. This is where you can see where Satan and his schemes are identified. They're recognizable. There is no sin uncommon to man. He follows the same pattern. Adam and Eve were given a plan for the garden, and the command from God was what? Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then what does he say? You can look at it there in chapter 3. Because it's, it's not going to be a good thing. Or because I said so. He said, for you will surely what? You will die. You will die. God said it in his own voice. He said it clearly. There's, there's no ambiguity about that. Right? You do what I've defined and said or you will die. Now, I want you to look in chapter 3, verse 2. Satan applies the same tactic as he does today with our sexuality. He said, did God really say? Did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? And know what Adam and Eve chose. And ever since, Satan, who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, continues to introduce a variety of deviations from God's plan for our sexuality that are outside of God's definition and creative plan. Now, I've given you a list of them there. And these aren't all inclusive. Neither are the scriptures all inclusive. But I want you to have those not to throw out to somebody, right? That's a sin. You shouldn't be doing that. But for you to know in your heart why God says no, why God says that doesn't work. Bestiality. If you don't know what that means, look it up. Same-sex relationships. We, we all know what that is. It's it's put before us all the time by a minority. Multiple partners. It's become just part of our life. It's expected. Living together. Cyber sex. Pornography. 
Satan whispers, our culture today shouts, did God really say? All the while, God's word is unmistakably, unmistakably clear that every deviation is sinful. Heavy sermon. Sexual sin is a sin against God, but I want you to know that it's also a sin against yourself. It's a sin against yourself. Now listen, we were taught, and the scripture says that our body is what? It is the temple where God resides. He doesn't dwell in a temple built by human hands, like the temple Solomon built, where God would come because of Jesus Christ, right? What happens when we're baptized? We receive his Holy Spirit. We are the temple. Our body, this body, is a temple for God, for his spirit to live in. We are not our own. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, he paid for you in full. He owns you. You're his. But what about this sin against self? 1 Corinthians 6.18. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. I want you to think about this. He differentiates between sexual sin and all other sins. All other sins are outside of your body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That's deep. He's talking about our being as a whole, our spiritual, emotional, physical self, affecting even our personality. Sexual sin is also a sin of self-worship. Sexual sin is a sin, a form of idolatry. Ephesians 5, 5, for this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Romans 1.25 summarizes our history as people, as men and women when it comes to sexuality. They exchanged You've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, a deviation, and served created things. Is he talking about just those little idols? No, he's talking about passions that have come inside of us, relationships. He's talking about self rather than the creator. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. When God issued these commands, I want you to understand, because God is all-knowing, when he issued these commands about sexual purity, God already knew about AIDS. God already knew about hepatitis. God already knew about venereal disease. But friends, he also knew and he also knows about the emotional scars 
He also knows about shameful flashbacks when you've been with multiple partners in the past. Let me just say, my first wife died. I was married for 11 years. We had sex as a married couple. And when I married my wife, Sarah, who was a virgin when we married, her biggest fear, her biggest fear was that I would go back in my mind and that I would think about my first wife when I make love to her. I am so grateful that I wasn't a man who had had sex with multiple people. I'm sorry that I couldn't give her that. It's the one thing that I couldn't give her that she deserved. So grateful for you, Sarah. He knows about the shameful flashbacks. He knows about sexual insensitivity. He knows about all the pain that illicit sexual behavior brings with it. He knows that when you're sexually reckless before marriage, the probability of an extramarital affair increases dramatically. And you know this. None of this is a secret, is it? Please. I can tell some of you are offended. But it's no secret. Like God said, it's been made clear. The lesson's missed if we don't ask, why is God so adamant, though? Why is he so adamant about sexuality being inside the confines of marriage? Do you ever wonder why? Do you ever wonder? It seems so outdated. It's so anti all of our friends. It's because God as our creator knows that we cannot separate sexual desire or actions from the rest of our lives. Because it is spiritual. It is emotional. God is jealous for our best, and he wants to protect sex and its sacred power for two people to bond in an environment where they know intimately and are known intimately. That's why God prohibits all immoral behavior outside of marriage. It's because of his desire to protect us. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, what are the wages? That, that means the payment. That means what you earn, what you get when you do something. What you get with sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now, death isn't just physical death, but death is separation. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, did they fall over dead? They probably wish they would have. But a part of them died. It died. They were separated from God. Sin put a barrier between them and God. They experienced guilt and shame and began blaming and manipulating one another. And we experience the same. We go down that path. And the penalty for sexual sin is the same as any other sin that isn't repented of or turned away from. And that's eternal separation from God. It's that serious. But you say, God wants me to be happy. You say, I can't really know someone unless we move in together before we're married. You say, I might lose my benefits if the government finds out that I'm married. 
You say my wife doesn't have sex with me, so I'm forced to look at porn. What, what else am I supposed to do? Have an affair? I have these feelings. I have these feelings. My voice, my mannerisms, even from the time I started speaking and walking, I, I wanted to play with Barbie dolls instead of G.I. Joe, or, or I wanted to play G.I. Joe instead of Barbie dolls. I have these feelings, my, my mannerisms, my desires don't match up with my body. This and the plethora of other arguments that we have, I want you to listen to this. It's logical. What you are saying is that God who raised Jesus from the dead, God who created the world and the universe and all created things, everything including you and me, what you're saying is that he knows nothing about sexuality. He knows nothing about sexuality and he knows nothing about us. Here's the third truth. And that is sexuality and spirituality are always intertwined with each other. We, we've built on this the whole night. Our sexuality and our spirituality are always intertwined with each other. You can't separate one from the other. You can't separate your sexuality from your relationship with God. The pure, the all-knowing, awesome powerful creator of the universe and the person of the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside every child of God. And when you decide to step out of the boundaries that he has set, when you decide to manipulate the definition and try to make it okay, when you demean the gift with pornography or act on same-sex desires. It's like driving a brand new car down an alley that's more narrow than the car is. I was watching on Discovery Channel the other night, these guys driving their trucks into a retired gold mine. And as they went along, it kept getting narrower and narrower until it started busting the mirrors off and ripping the sides up. You're going to wreck it. And when the Apostle Paul wrote to the sexually confused church in Corinth, you think things are bad now? Go back and read what was going on in Corinth at the time. He said, do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? And you say, oh, that, he's talking about prostitutes. He's not talking about having multiple partners. He's not talking about moving in with my friend. No, it's not about prostitutes or not prostitutes. It's about who you unite with and what happens. He says, for the two will become one flesh. It's more than just an act. But whoever's united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we have sex outside the bonds of marriage. That's what happens when we look at porn. That's what happens physically, emotionally, and spiritual when you give in to desires for someone of the same sex. Your heavenly Father, who is absolutely pure and holy, wants to dwell with you and in you, but you cut yourself off from him. There's a reason why your prayers don't get answered. There's a reason why when you open and read the Bible, you don't sense or hear God speaking to, oh, I hear him speaking to me all the time. He tells me it's okay. That's not God. That's you being God. That's someone else who doesn't know God being God. 
Although God is ready to forgive and listen, the moment we seek his heart, habitual sexual disobedience causes God to close his ears. And it cuts us off from our ability to hear his voice and experience his presence. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, your choices, your deviations have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. Now here's where we're at so far. (laughs) Number one, number one, at some point, this should have become clear to you in tonight's message and through the scripture, not through my words, but through scripture. Sex is a sacred expression created and defined by God that is to be contained within the confines of marriage as God defines it between one man and one woman, period. Number two, all sexual expressions outside of this definition, all sexual expression outside these boundaries is immoral and prohibited by God. You can make a list, multiple partners living together, homosexuality, bestiality, self-gratification, on down the line. Number three, God clearly created two equal sexual identities that are clear while even in the womb. From the moment of fertilization, no other sexual identity defined by man can have God's stamp of approval on it. Number four, the Bible addresses homosexual and heterosexual lusting and or acting on desires and impulses outside of marriage between one man and woman as sin. Notice the way that we worded that. I worded it. The Bible words it. The sin of a homosexual person acting on their desire and lust acting on it. The desire is not sin. Acting on the sin is. Is sinful. A man and a woman, by God's definition, that's living as a man, that's living as a woman, engaging all of those things, when he acts on his lust, she acts on her lust and steps outside of God's definition, it's sin. Both are sin. Both lead to emotional, spiritual death if unconfessed. Number five, sex outside the biblical definition of marriage between one man and one woman is far from being an acceptable or alternative way of living. It's actually a destructive lifestyle that is deeply harmful relationally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If I could put a warning label on it, (laughs) I would. That's why he says so much right here. So can you see how God's response to one question, is it okay to have sex outside of marriage? Can you see how God's response to that one question defines and answers any question that we have about any deviation from God's definition and description of our sexuality within the confines of marriage. 
I want us to go back for a minute. One last thing here to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we started. And in verse 5, he, he says this phrase. He says, no immoral, no impure, no greedy person. Now, I want you to think about this in this light. Paul is talking about behavior. Paul is talking about a pattern of living, a choice to choose immorality over and over again, the choice to choose impurity or greed over and over again. Over time, you've compromised repeatedly to the point where you're trapped in dysfunctional living. What does that mean for you tonight? What does this mean for you if you are there, if you have been there, if that's been the pattern, if you see yourself going down that road, maybe it was just once, maybe you find yourself repeating it over and over again. What does that mean for you if you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ? It means you need to turn to him. It means you need to turn to him and you need to grab hold of him and the truth of who he is and who he says you are. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will save you. Nothing else will ever be right if you don't. And what does that mean? What does it mean to align with God's word and God's commands? How do you do that? Peter answered the question. He said, repent, which simply means to turn to God. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let your body that was designed to be a temple of God, let it have God. Let it have his spirit inside of you. The power of God's spirit, which gives you self-control. <laughs> Did you know that? Your self-control comes from God. It's possible. It's what gives us true love, true love. It's what empowers us to live abundantly within his commands. And the overflow of living your life that way will be a blessing to your future spouse or to your current spouse, or it will sustain you. If you're one of those people that, that is able to live a single life to please God. You see, marriage, marriage was defined and created because it's a need that we have. And if you don't have that need, then God will give you the power to live as a single person without all of these side relationships. If you're already a Christian, but you've been living outside of God's definition of sexuality in the past or in the present, Scripture directs us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine ourselves, to see whether we're in the faith. Now, that's a serious statement. Well, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, did you? Are you? Jesus said, a tree is recognized by its fruit. If the fruit of your life is progressive, habitual, sexual immorality, then you need to really ask yourself, does God's spirit live inside of me? 
And if the answer is no, then you need to come to him right now. And you need to receive him. If his spirit does live inside of you, then you need to start listening to him again. And you need to bring your life and your relationships into alignment with his word. And listen, thousands and thousands of people are doing that, have done it, and will do it. It's possible. Yes, it's challenging. That's where this series was born out of because we constantly are asking ourselves, is it okay to? What about this? This is so hard. This is so challenging. But here's the challenge. And that is from this point forward, make every effort to align your life, not just your sexuality, but all aspects of your life. Align your life with God's spirit and his plan today. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't live by the excuse of, well, this is the way I feel. My friend's feelings change. Truth doesn't. Hold on to the truth. Don't think it's no big deal. It's life and death for you, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So tonight, the question's been placed before you in expectation that you'll seek God's word and plan for your life. Will you give him that control tonight? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, of all the subjects, (laughs) of all the subjects, Lord, this is the one. And Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I don't want to pretend to be someone that doesn't struggle in the same way that other men and and perhaps uh, women struggle with what our eyes see and our own desires that go seem to go unfulfilled sometimes but god i can testify tonight as can everyone who has aligned their life with you who has surrendered their spirit to the power of your holy spirit i can say that your way is undoubtedly without reserve the very best when David said, taste and see that God is, is good. <laughs> oh God, that taste comes when we align ourselves with you and your plan in every area of our life, even this one. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've seen, no matter what we've said, Lord, we are so grateful that when we turn to you, when we turn to you that you can silence those memories you can cloud our vision of them for some of us that we would remember only that we have sinned but the sin itself doesn't have to interrupt our current relationship our relationship built on you god we are grateful for that and so tonight lord in this room i know nobody wants to come forward tonight because they associate the stigma of coming forward with some sin that is looked at so crazy by the world. (laughs) On one hand, they tell us, oh, it's okay, just live this way. But on the other hand, they judge us and they put us in groups and they call us names when we confess it. But Father, tonight I know that there are many who need you and need your spirit 
They need the power and the family of other believers around them who are not here to condemn them or to hurt them or to make light of them, but, Father, to love them as sinners ourselves who have been redeemed and reclaimed. And so tonight, may you break down those walls and may we come anyway to you and surrender to you anew. We love you, Lord. We give you control. In Jesus' name, amen. We're here for you tonight if you'd like to talk more.